Hello and welcome to another episode of Field Notes, the weekly podcast from the Hindu business line on agriculture and agribusiness. I'm your host, T.R. Vivek. You can, of course, listen to us on our website, www.businessline.in or find us on Spotify and Google Podcasts apps. If you have comments and feedback, tweet us at businessline uh, with the hashtag Field Notes. Right. Uh, this promises to be a very special show with two guests, uh, a first for Field Notes. Um, the, UN, uh, the United Nations General Assembly recently adopted a resolution sponsored by India to mark 2023 20, uh, as the year of millets. Um, the government of India itself had a similar initiative in 2018. Why is this important and, and what are millets? Millets are some of the earliest grains cultivated by humans. Uh, some of the most common millets you will find in Indian bazaars are ragi, bajra or pearl millet uh, and jowar also known as sorghum. And uh, there is a you know wide cornucopia of other millets like foxtail and proso and kodo that you will find in different parts of the country. Uh, millets are packed with nutrition and are very hardy crops. They require considerably less resources like water, soil and other in inputs compared to rice, wheat or corn. Uh, which is why they are now called superfoods or smart foods. If they are indeed so smart and super, how did they go out, go out of fashion uh, and come to be classified rather pejoratively in my mind as small grains? Our guests today are Joanna Kane Potaka, the Assistant Director General of ICRISAT. ICRISAT is the International Crop Research Institute for Semi-Arid Tropics, a global scientific research non-profit organization headquartered in Hyderabad. Millet research for the benefit of farmers in Asia and Africa is perhaps at the heart of what ICRISAT does. Uh, Prashant Parmeshwaran is the founder and uh, CEO of Soulful, uh, a ready-to-eat breakfast cereal brand that uses millets instead of corn or wheat. Uh, Soulful was earlier this year acquired by Tata Consumer Products for about 155 crore rupees. Prashant is uh, now the uh, managing director of Tata Consumer Products and remains in charge of Soulful's business. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Joanna and Prashant. Hi, Vivek. Hi, Vivek. Thank you. Thank you. Us, Thank you very much for uh, for joining us. Joanna, I'll, I'll begin with you. Why are millets called superfoods uh, and, and, and what makes them uh, a potent weapon to fight the twin challenges of hunger and climate change? This is what makes millets particularly unique. I mean, superfood really means something that's super healthy and nutritious, whereas millets are not only that, they go further. And that's why we call them a smart food, where it's got all criteria of not only being good for you, but good for the planet and good for the farmers. So if you look at the good for you part, I mean, it's very, very unique. There are very few foods that can claim such a wide variety of characteristics. So, for example, with the right varieties, they're very high in iron and zinc. And even taking bioavailability into account, which is how much of that iron, for example, that you absorb, you can get, with the right varieties, you can get the same amount of iron from millet as you can from meat. Now that's really, really high. And then if you look at finger millet or ragi, it's got three times the amount of calcium as milk. That's super high. And in a lot of Asian countries, people are lactose intolerant and need alternatives to milk. Milk's very healthy, but you can get super calcium levels just from, from the ragi or the finger millet. 
Then there have been studies that show that millets do have low glycemic index, and we know diabetes is really increasing um, and is going to become a big problem. And the first thing a doctor typically will say to a diabetic or pre-diabetic patient is replace that white refined rice with millets. And it can make a big difference. And it has been proven to both um, uh, help manage and also prevent diabetes. Then it's got pretty good protein, almost slightly less than, than legumes, which are really good, but still very good. And they actually complement legumes. Legumes are low in one of the specific essential amino acids, whereas millets have 50% more of that. So when you combine millets and legumes, you get a complete protein plus all the micronutrients. Now, something very few people know, and we've got a new study coming out on this, lipid, um, millets also have a very good lipid profile. Now, what this means is it will reduce the high-density bad cholesterols and it will increase the good low-density cholesterols. So very, very important. So, I mean, there are so few foods that have this massive range of, of characteristics that are so healthy and nutritious, and it happens to target some of the biggest health and nutrition needs. So if you look at iron and zinc, they're in the top three micronutrient deficiencies worldwide. Iron, which impacts anemia, is anemia is only going up in India, even with a lot of efforts that have been put into trying to overcome anemia. Um, so, so from a good for you part, they're just outstanding. Then if you look for good, look at the good for the planet or good for the farmer, well, they survive with less water. Um, they, they use 30% less water than maize, 70% less water than rice. They survive. Can you give us an illustration uh, uh, so that listeners can easily understand, say, for instance, uh, uh, how much uh, uh, water would be required to produce a ton of rice compared to uh, a ragi or sorghum? Right. So millets will survive on approximately 350, maximum 400 millimeters of annual rainfall, whereas rice needs. Uh, about four times that it needs about, or 10 times, it needs about 1,250 millimetres of of, um, of water or rainfall. Um, so there's a huge difference. And, and that's an advantage because farmers that are in the more marginalised areas that have fewer opportunities and are reliant on rain-fed um, water, then this is often a, a fantastic alternative because millets also survive in those... Um, less fertile soils, the harsher climates, they survive in the higher temperatures. So they're also what we call climate smart. They're going to be much more resilient with climate change. We know temperatures are going to get higher. Mm. Um, and also they have, because they use fewer fertilisers and pesticides, they have a lower carbon footprint. So this makes them both a mitigation and an adaptation strategy for climate change. And we know climate change is going to be a huge, huge issue. And what's really amazing about millets is you'll find them grown in the hills in Kerala, the tropics of Kerala. You'll find them growing in these dry lands in the centre and uh, around Telangana and Andhra Pradesh. 
you'll find them growing in the deserts of Rajasthan, you'll find them growing in the mountains in Uttarakhand. Mm -hmm. It's so adaptable. Um, there's just so much great potential there. So that's why we call them a smart food. Good for you, mm -hmm. planet and farmer. Mm -hmm. uh, Prashant, how did the idea of starting a millet-based breakfast brand uh, come about? And, and if I can just add to a point that Joanna mentioned, uh, Vivek, before I yep. uh, respond to the question, um, just on the water piece, I think a point that uh, I would just like to add is most of millets are grown as rain-fed crops versus irrigation. So which means the source of water that's been used is from the sky versus the rice. Most of the water is used from the ground. So that all, is a all, all, irrig all irrigated supply systems. All irrigated supply systems, exactly. So that starts becoming a massive thing when we know what is the resources that planet Earth has and what is the resource power that's there from uh, of water. Another uh, maybe easy to understand is, you know, as Joanna was talking about the uh, millimeters of rain, and if I may, a kg of rice that we put on the table has taken around 4,000 liters of water, which is roughly a water tanker. Oh God. Right? So it's, it's, it's quite easy to think. So think, you know, you put a kg of rice and, and you basically taken a water tanker from the earth. Um, and, 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 and it is not to say that, you know, rice needs to be replaced, but it's those kind of small moments uh, in consumers' minds that helps saying, I would really like to contribute back to planet Earth as I'm making my health and wellness choices. So if I could just add to that. Um, sure. I think to your, to, your, to your question on how, how this really came and, 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 and I was just listening to Joanna and, uh, you know, I was, I was always getting mesmerized with, with these grains. So this was back when I was in the US, I used to work in a retail firm and I saw the birth of quinoa. And to be very honest at that point, and this is I think 2007, uh, right? So I had no idea, I had no background to quinoa, but I could see, you know, consumers lapping around it. There was this whole movement towards back to roots. Uh, got me very interested in studying a little bit more about the grain. And as I started searching further and further and further into the grain, you know, it just there was a there was a, a, a an epiphany moment where I essentially said, "So wait, these are pretty similar to what we used to have uh, in India, which is like ragi, jowar, bajra, and the various minor millets that you mentioned." Uh, it then pondered the next question of saying. So what really happened uh, and, and went down a little historical path of trying to understand what really uh, happened or the choices that we made as a country. And it, it just begged that entire piece of saying there is so much good that is there in this grain that it really cannot be just left as is. Uh, and if you ask me, that's the sole reason for Soulful uh, is how do we bring millets and make them relevant to the 21st century? Uh, and why I say that is unless you bring products that people can use and consume and start bringing them into their day-to-day -day life, it becomes difficult to actually bring millets to where it truly belongs in the, in the center of the plate. Uh, so that's really the, the, the purpose uh, and, and, and why we exist, continue to exist, and hopefully uh, can, can have this mission uh, satisfactorily done. Uh, breakfast, as a question that you asked, uh, so we don't see ourselves as a breakfast cereal player. Uh, breakfast is one category, uh, 
uh, we again, as I say, our role is to make products that are relevant for the 21st century consumer. Um, so we have, uh, you know, drinks, we have uh, uh, snacks, we have a bunch of other stuff. Uh, but breakfast is definitely where we started with it. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but I find it rather criminal when I see on the shop shelves, uh, you know, imported quinoa uh, selling at, uh, you know, 800 rupees a kilo. Uh, and, and people consuming that instead of picking up, you know, ragi or or many other fantastic millets, uh, which are available uh, quite easily in India. Absolutely. I mean, I I, I cannot uh, I cannot uh, agree more. And in fact, I believe there is another grain that's there, and and Joanna would be uh, better equipped than me to uh, respond better uh, to the uh, to the grain is. Uh, there's a grain called foxtail millet and in, in Tamil Nadu it's called Tinai uh, and, and in the north, if I'm not mistaken, it's called Kangini. Um, very, very similar to quinoa. The protein delivery, yeah. Yeah. everything is yeah. very, very similar. Uh, and, and it's one zero less, the number you quoted. And that one zero less goes to our farmer in India. Uh, and I think that's where, um, you know, how do you bring agri, business, consumer, uh, how do you bring that entire ecosystem together and how do we bring back the roots? Because like Joanna mentioned, people actually, a lot of people now are starting to, you know, buy a small amount of that, mix it with their white rice, even if I'm not able to replace it in full because they used and accustomed to a taste uh, because behavior change is not a, uh, it's not a, 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 a one year or a two year journey. Uh, it's a slightly longer journey. And I think that consciousness is arising. Uh, it's it's growing, and I think the entire trends that's going on towards health and wellness, uh, and the better for you spaces that are really coming out in the consumer's mind are accelerating this this growth and development. Um, you know, uh, when I uh, tried to shift uh, uh, from a right and wheat based diet uh, about fifteen years ago, I I used to be in Delhi at that time. I found it really hard to you know, get hold of millets, you know, in fact, it was very difficult to explain to people, uh, to shopkeepers and retailers about something called Tinai. You know, then I realized that, you know, it's, it's, it's virtually impossible because it may not be known there, uh, you know, although, uh, you know, historically, they've been part of our diets. It's interesting that you mentioned Tinai. Uh, uh, Tinai is, uh, is supposed to be the favorite of Lord Murugan as Prasadam. You know, uh, yes. uh, laddus made out of Tinai are supposed to be his favorite. Uh, you know, but but sadly, uh, many of these millets uh, have now disappeared. And I, and I wanted to ask both of you if uh, if these are super grains. You know, what happened? Why did they just fade away from our diets in a fairly short span of time? Uh, you know, I, I I read some 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 research reports about how you know before the green revolution, you know, before uh, sort of uh, wheat carpeted our fields. Uh, millets had a significant share of acreage uh, of our farms. What what happened, Joanna? Oh, okay, Vivek. Well, the Green Revolution was the start. It wasn't the only action that impacted um, millets becoming less known and less popular. But what did happen in the Green Revolution in the 50s and 60s was um, the country was in a very difficult state and it was concerned with just having enough food to eat. And a lot of food was being shipped in from the US just to, to um, cater for that. And it was about stopping mass starvation. Um, and then better varieties, better yielding varieties of, of rice and wheat were brought in. 
And so there was a mass campaign and um, rolling out, scaling out on a very large scale across India to bring in these new improved varieties of wheat and rice just to have enough food to eat. Now, it was important at that time. Um, what we've learned from that was that we didn't take into account the environmental problems that came with that and the nutrition problems that came with that. Um, but what happened was that um, the value chains ended up be being well set up and well supported. Everything from the consumer, the product ease and availability, like you were talking about before, the difficulty of finding millet um, and, the, and the comfort with eating the rice or wheat, through to you know very well structured supply chains and and farming being supported, and then you had like you have now you have we don't have a level playing field anymore. We've got the minimum support price, a public distribution scheme, the midday meal schemes, all these other schemes that are set up that support mainly wheat and rice. So any other foods now it's very difficult to break into that because there isn't a level playing field. Um, and so, um, and therefore, over time, the awareness about millets reduced, the image of them reduced as being seen as old-fashioned or poor people's food. Um, small, and, small grains. You know, yeah. I find it very pejorative. And, and sorry, just my last point. And just because those value chains weren't developed, mm -hmm. then products weren't developed. Just like Soulful now has made the move, which brings in modern products. You can use the traditional grains, but people still want convenience. They still want food in a form that they are used to, they like, it's easy to use, it's got a great image. And companies like Soulful, that's what they've done to really start to change. A radical change now is, is happening because of, really, I would say it's the SMEs, those entrepreneurs that have really been making the change. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prashant, I remember uh, even a decade ago, uh, you'd encounter, uh, uh, you know, some ragi products, some ragi laddus or cookies or, or, or vermicelli uh, made of made out of ragi in, in, in uh, farmers markets or, or some fair, organic fair or the other. Um, how difficult was uh, product development for you? when you were starting out and tell us some stories about you know uh, what were you know when you were researching the product and you know what did consumers say when you were doing some beta testing perhaps so so so, so thank you joanna for those kind words um, so so in uh, the the interesting thing on product development and i think like joanna mentioned about the entire ecosystem on rice and wheat Today, if you want to do rice or wheat-based products and technologies around them, is like an OTC drug. So you literally can go up anywhere. You can, you can find the technology, right? So when I say OTC, I mean more from availability of technology. For millets, and, and obviously if consumption has, has shifted and, and, and as for the parts that uh, you know, both of you uh, had, had articulated, there are obviously not going to be processing technologies that have been put in together. Um, so one of the, the, the first three to four years, Vivek, I don't think we did anything else but just focus on technology because at the same breath of using these nutritional 
crops, one of the things at Soulful we are very, very mindful is not to take out the nutrition out of the grain during processing. Because it's very, very easy to take out all the goodness uh, out of the grain. Um, so the way I would say it is, you know, an apple juice without the skin of the apple tastes better, but you've actually taken out a lot of the nutrition. The role in technology is how do I get that apple skin back into that juice? And that's essentially what we had been focusing a lot about. So developing machineries, developing a lot of the technologies becomes key. Interestingly, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I very, very distinctively remember when you asked me for an anecdote and, and me and my advisor, we were at visiting factories, literally knocking doors saying, lend us your line. Can we please do some trials? The kind of comments they said, one, my God, it is brown in color. It will make my factory look bad. <laughs> Second, you might break my machinery. Who's going to underwrite that? Right? Nobody has ever put millets into these kind of machines. If it's rice or corn, if you want, why don't you put some maida? So, for example, at Soulful, we don't use maida. Right? I call it the lubricant, which is just, uh, which can just clog too many parts of your body, which is just absolutely wrong. Right? No, no. If you put around thirty percent maida, I'll allow you to do so. Uh, if you're only going to do like 50, 80 percent ragi or any other millets, we have a problem. You cannot do it. And there were a lot of places where we had to underwrite. And I think the balance that is also very important is as we were doing product development, um, as you trend down the health and wellness, and this is also from my experience in the US and having made some early failures in India as well, is in India, if we want to make healthy food, it needs to taste good. I know it sounds very cliche, but you move to developed markets, they are willing to compromise on taste. So it could be, you know, the US markets, Europe, Australia, they're willing, they're okay with not have not with, with a little bit of blandness. In India, that does just does not work. And in India, the way I look at it is the difference between food and medicine is essentially taste. And that's how it's going to become a habit. So one of the other challenges is how do you then develop out products having to build your own technologies, but building out products that stand tall. Because at the end of the day, in the consumer world, every Indian works hard for his 10 or 100 bucks that comes to his hand. He or she is standing in a store or going across the store or today online, making a decision of saying, where do I spend my 10 or 100 bucks? So when we do that, we need to be able to stand super tall and stand whether it's a Indian brand, whether it's a multinational brand, you need to stand super tall and say, I can demand for your 10 or 100 rupees because I deliver superior quality, I deliver superior taste, and we deliver superior health. And I think that how, how did you how did you crack the taste conundrum, uh, Prashant? Because you know, uh, my, my daughter, uh, she hates ragi kanji, uh, you know, but she loves uh, chomping on, uh, you know, uh, the chocophil soulful uh, nuggets. So, so how, how did you manage to do that? Yeah. So, so I think, I think sometimes, you know, when they say ignorance is bliss is actually good. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a food scientist. I'm not a food engineer. I'm just a mechanical engineer with an MBA and some background in agriculture, distribution and retail. So I always just keep the consumer in front. Uh, right. And, 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 and I just come with that simple thing of saying, 
you know see what that consumer wants and i think the more you are clear and which is why it took us three to five years right it didn't it was not that you know it was you know i was albert einstein and it just came out uh, right out of the thing we, we, we made a lot of mistakes uh, and i think the key part was to be at it and and to be on constant improvement because at the end of the day if your daughter does not like it uh, you know you or anybody else in the house can buy it from the buy it from a store and bring it saying you know it's got all of this good stuff but if she doesn't consume it it's a waste of that 100 rupees right because as an indian mindset you don't want to see food going uh, waste i don't think it's just an indian mindset it's anywhere and how do you then ensure that your products really deliver superior taste uh, as well and not just from a health and wellness in fact uh, uh, you know I, I was so happy when joanna talked about ragi and uh, you know and 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 the protein from legumes in fact that is a massive recipe of ragi bites so where ragi gives you the calcium and the dals and the legumes gives us all the protein and it's that entire marriage concept uh, and i think if you i mean if, if any typical food scientist sees our recipe they would actually be a little surprised right because it doesn't have uh, a lot of the usual stuff that let's say a biscuit manufacturer or anybody else would have and it's about bringing together what are you delivering to the consumer and i think it's just that mindset you know i, I i've spoken to a lot of uh, uh... Uh, temple trustees, uh, you know, uh, where prasadam is dispensed uh, in in southern India, and uh, I would keep asking them, look, you know, why don't you have a social responsibility? Why don't you shift from rice-based prasadam at least once a week or twice a week, week to millets? And the answer that I would get is, you know, look, you know, it goes waste. People just don't want to eat it. You know, um, that we become so habituated to the taste of to the taste of rice, especially in South India. Uh, that's very very difficult to to break that I suppose. Yeah, so 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 Vivek, and I think that's really where twenty twenty three really starts doing this place because I, I you know as as entrepreneurs we are the eternal optimists uh, as you will right and and you know it's like uh, you always have you know these kind of stuff that keeps coming but change is also not. Uh, an overnight success, right? Change happens over time. It's taken uh, 30, 40 years uh, to take out uh, millets from its mainstream space. I don't think it'll take 30, 40 years. I think it'll take much less. Another, in my guess, another few years, and we should be back at least on a much, much bigger pedestal. And that's where 2023 really comes in because it starts opening up. Now, I mean, just for a second, pull back, and and, and I think history plays its role sometimes. Uh, international year of quinoa, international year of pulses, international years of various pieces is what then suddenly starts getting people to say and take notice. And it's not just take notice from a consumer lens, it's also the entire ecosystem, right? Like how Joanna was mentioning about the entire supply chain. It goes across the length and breadth. And, 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 and to be very, very honest, it's there. I mean, if I say over the last five years, has the needle moved? I think the needle has moved immensely. Has moved immensely, and and what uh, you know the the entire team has pulled together for uh, the uh, international year of millets. I think is a is a perfect stepping stone for actually making this change happen. That 10, 15 years later, when you look back and say, "Wow, that's some change." Uh, Joanna, you you also have a marketing background. Um, in what way do you think uh, 2023 being declared the year of millets by uh, UN? Um, in what way do you think it will help the cause of millets? And uh, what do you think must happen? Uh, uh, you know, things that could that should go hand in hand to make this a success. And what should okay. success look like? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, certainly this international year is definitely going to be the turning point. This is going to be big and it's going to bring huge attention to millets. So it's up to individual countries and companies and government how they leverage that and capitalise on it. And it's having as much as possible ready in place before the International Year of Millets, having the supply chains, having the quantities, having the products, um, are really important. And actually, I, I did want to add to, it's a really important point what Prashant said about tasty and healthy. And this is, this is a challenge that's not specific to millets. It's specific to foods everywhere. Um, and and a, a person from a, um, I won't name it, a multinational company said to me once, reality is fat, sugar and salt sell. If you want to add a lot of sugar, a lot of fat, a lot of salt, you're definitely going to make the product tasty. So the challenge is tasty and, and healthy, but it can be achieved. Absolutely. I mean, if you eat, don't try the... Um, Soulful Smoothies, my favourite product. Absolutely super delicious. But you can put millet in Kitri in Italy and it's absolutely delicious. And, and I'll give you an example where we did a school study uh, in peri-urban Bangalore. So it was a South India rice-eating area where people, and we, we did a home study first, and people ate something like between 80 to 90% of their food was based on white refined rice. Um, so we worked with Akshapatra and for three months we did not feed the children any rice in the school meals. We worked with the chefs, we designed our nutritionist, um, Dr Anita led this, we designed delicious meals um, and then worked with Akshapatra for three months in two schools, so 1,500 children, fed them those meals and we had a control group of another two schools of 1,500 children. And every month we did sensory evaluations to see how the children were liking it. Every one of those millet meals got 4.5 out of 5 score or higher by those children. Mm -hmm. They absolutely loved them. And we even made some of the millet cooked and boiled in water just like rice. And they loved mm -hmm. it. Um, and we, we also tested their growth. And the children with the millet-based meals grew 50% faster relative to the children in the other schools. So it was the, that was the first scientific study on school-based meals with millets. So it is possible to achieve it, and I, and I think that has to be something that has to be part of the big focus in moving forward. Um, but when you said, so what can be done, what else can be done, I think we have to work from both the demand side and the supply side. I think the biggest, biggest thing the government can do to move the demand side is support SMEs, the, the, the companies, the smaller companies, because it's these companies, and, and Soulful was, was one of the early ones in the market, but there are others too. They were the pioneers. They're the ones who are bringing in new products. They're the ones that are close to the markets. They run workshops. They talk about health. They talk about cooking. They, they work with chefs. Um, so these companies are the ones making the change in the markets. And if you could combine that with the government major awareness campaign, which is about changing the image of millet, showing how delicious it is, and making sure it's easy for people, the products and how they can cook it. 
So if you combine those two areas on the demand side, and then on the supply side, it's about supporting the farmers. And it's about what we mentioned before, we've got to have a level playing field at the absolute minimum. So you can't have a higher um, minimum, you can't have better minimum support price and, and so forth for other commodities. It's got to be level or better still, the government really should be giving incentives to the foods that are more nutritious, more climate resilient, better on the environment. Um, and many, many state governments and national, the national government supported it too, have been making these moves. So it's quite exciting that this is happening, um, but we have to have both that demand side and supply side focused on to make this come to a reality. And India can be a major global player. India grows more different types of millets than any country in the world. They have more companies doing millet products. They have the biggest range of millet products of any country. Um, so India's well positioned to be a global player. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Joram, uh, does Equisat use its uh, sort of privileged position? Uh, you know, being 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 one of the uh, premier uh, uh, research organizations for millets, and you make policy recommendations to governments as well on on some of the things that you mentioned. I've often wondered why the government mandatorily doesn't replace a lot of its subsidized uh, uh, rice and wheat with with millets. Uh, we do often make um, policy recommendations, but we also work closely with the government on the work as well. Um, and, and there has been a change. I mean, Connecticut was one of the first governments um, that really started to make a move and work both on the supply and demand side of millets. Odisha government has a millet mission now too, and they're extremely progressive and doing new initiatives all the time. The central government about uh, two years ago wrote an email to every state government saying, we would like to encourage you to include millets in your midday meal schemes and these are ways to do it. Um, Uttrakhan government is even looking at how they can have a millet mission. Um, I can mention others have been really progressive. So the change is happening, mm -hmm. but it, it's, it's slowly there. I mean, I, I think like Prashant said, you can't just have a sudden radical change and replace or diversify food immediately straight away. You have to have a plan and bring this in in the right way with the right foods and and the demand and supply both sort of moving together as well mm -hmm. uh, prashant as joanna was talking about the supply side issues uh, uh, when you started off did you have any peculiar challenges uh, sourcing uh, uh, ragi and other millets compared to uh, rice wheat or maize so, so uh, interestingly, Vivek, uh, the, one of the reasons that I shifted to Bangalore, I'm not from Karnataka. Uh, the reason I actually shifted here was uh, was because ragi is uh, predominantly grown here. Uh, for ragi, uh, particularly, I have not faced the issues. Obviously, we've been wanting specific varieties that are, uh, that, that we, we choose, and hence it's uh, we used to go to the hinterlands uh, to do our sourcing. Uh, but 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 thankfully not really a problem and and I think it's, it really boils down to having the demand and the supply at the same time and I think Karnataka government at that particular point has also figured that there is no point in just focusing just on the 
supply if the demand is not there and there's no point in focusing just on the demand if the supply is not there. Um, so thankfully, I think from that perspective uh, in Karnataka, uh, the supply of millets are, uh, it has not been an issue and we can easily see the scalability as well. I'm also seeing the same thing in different parts, different states that are reaching out to us, that we're having conversations, uh, which I think is a massive shift again uh, over the last, let's say, seven to 10 years. Um, Prashant, ragi is, is, is one of the more popular uh, millets. Um, uh, give, us a, give us a peek into your product innovation uh, pipeline and, and tell us how do you plan to use other millets, you know, I, I believe we're just scratching the surface uh, on, on, on unlocking millets potential with ragi. Uh, how do you plan to use others like Proso or Kodo and Foxtail that you mentioned? Absolutely, absolutely. So Vivek, uh, I mean, and I think, uh, and, and, and for us, I think it's about getting the product market uh, fit right. Uh, so if you see where do we use ragi the most, we use ragi the most with kids products. Uh, right, simply because Nachni, as it might be known at the West or Ragi in the South, has always been the weaning foods. So the mom and the pediatrician are very, very well aware of its benefits. Um, only thing what happens is, you know, after that one, one and a half, two years, uh, when they have been consuming it, suddenly it just falls off the cliff. And and to me, I thought that was a very, very important standpoint of saying. Here, you don't need to tell somebody that ragi is good for you. You don't need to tell somebody that, you know, uh, there is there is a benefit of ragi or why you should consume it. They are just not having a product that can really help them. And that is that was the first, uh, I call it like the chapter one of that piece. Um, and that's why I believe that ragi for the kids will still and continue to be because of the the, the calcium story that uh, Joanna had mentioned about and, and where it helps from a development standpoint. Similarly, what we have on the young adults and the millennials is, for example, we have our mucilies, which bring in other forms of millets. And, and in fact, for them, what we do is we actually talk a lot more about millets as a whole versus ragi as a, uh, as a, as a, as a loan. And here, what we really do is start bringing in jowar, bajra, uh, we bring in uh, foxtail millet. These are the three along with ragi that we, that we work on. And in fact, the smoothie strings that Joanna mentioned has, I think, four of these millets along with uh, various other grains, uh, which start bringing it into an entire portion of the glass. Uh, and, and it just becomes a fulfilling drink that then comes in. But it's again, not about a grain, but it's about the entire millet family. Uh, so the way we're looking at this is as we go across various consumption occasions, We'll bring in various of these. So uh, a, a product that we have and, and uh, which is, you know, takes on and where we actually have Tine. Uh, and, 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 and I hope that you'll, you'll start seeing this more now with the uh, Tata consumer collaboration uh, is where we bring the goodness of oats and the goodness of millets together and we start bringing it in a savory form. Right. So it's very similar to and it's a and it's a piece that we all know. Right. We can either think of it as a kanji or as a porridge or as a, as a savory oats, however we want to look at it. But the point is, how do you start if, and we all know oats is big, right? And, and, and oats is becoming uh, big. And the point is, if you're consuming that, can we start getting millets into your diet? Can we start getting it into your diet? And just to give you a sense, there are a couple of, you know, very uh, interesting studies that we do. Uh, you know, some products where we started at 5%, 10% millets. Then slowly as the customers got were getting okay with it, we said, now is the time. Let's move it to 10, 12%. 
now let's move it to 14 15% let's move to 20% and but it's a gradual move right because like you said if if last thing you want is food to go waste like you were mentioning about the temple anecdote uh, you don't want to give them an overdose that they run away right so how do you build that build that build that pallet in because once you start building that pallet in it becomes very simple so i mean uh, my kids will obviously be very biased but my kids can eat a 100% ragi just like that i mean they have it like a munchi right their friends will not be able to eat it but you know they have unfortunately grown up in the house where you know i've been bringing back prototypes so they've been used to it but it's so interesting to see that you know a habit can actually be developed but it takes that time it's like test cricket over t20 if you will Mm-hmm. Vivek, can I add to that? Because sure. I think it's really, really important that we also have this bigger target in mind that we diversify the staples with millets. Because we we talk about, um, I mean, if we really want to have big impact, big impact on people's health and nutrition, big impact on the environment, on farmers' resilience to climate change, then bringing in products in niche markets is good, but it's not going to really make a big difference. So what we see is a big need to say, right, our staples of rice and wheat, how can we bring millets in there and diversify? It's not one versus the other. It's a diversification that's needed, but bringing it into mainstream. Now, individual products are needed in many niche uh, markets to get people used to it, like Prashant was saying, it's not a case of just introducing something quickly. And bringing in exciting new products changes the image, gets people used to it, gets them excited about the product. Um, But we have to keep pushing to say we have to bring these back as staples as well. It's really, really important. And we we did a survey a few years ago on, we did 15,500 face-to-face interviews with consumers in seven cities in India, the biggest survey, consumer survey ever done on on millets. And what we found is we grouped people into three basic types. So when we ask people, why do you eat millets? The biggest, the number one reason in every one of those seven cities was, I have a health problem. So what we found is the the early adopters were people who had diabetes or anemia or weren't well, and they were starting to learn about the amazing health benefits of millets. But of course, you don't want millets to stay as a food for for unwell people. But then we found the next group was people who were really um, health and fitness conscious. And what we found was a huge gap between people who were health and fitness conscious but they're very, very low awareness about millets and how they can contribute. So we saw the next big market there. But then we said, okay, your next market really is how do you then bring that more into mainstream? And that's what we have to keep pushing towards um, to to really achieve that, to really have big impact for, for everybody's sake, for so many advantages that this can bring. Jonah, tell us something about um, the role of ICRISAT in in millet research and 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 how it has helped uh, help farmers uh, in Asia and Africa. It, it's really important. I mean, ICRISAT is a scientific research organisation and really focused on farmers and how do you make farming profitable? Because you're not going to solve 
the malnutrition, the the poverty, um, even the environmental issues, uh, etc. Unless you can make farming viable and sustainable, so, but to achieve that, you still have to look at that whole value chain. You've got to look at the consumer end and driving demand. Uh, you've got to look at the whole agribusiness side. For example, Icrasat runs an incubator for startup companies in these food areas, and and we work with um, setting up farmer producer organisations. We work with how we can introduce um, central processing units for the farmers to add value to these millets. Um, and then we also work on farm. We look at the whole breeding, breeding better varieties, but also what we call biofortified varieties. So they're bred not just for higher yield, etc., but also for higher nutrient value. Um, and then making sure those seeds are available, making sure farmer has access to that, how farmers diversify and farm. So we really work across that whole value chain. And actually, if I mention one really exciting um, scientific study that's being released very soon, and we've been working on it for four years, we've been working on the nutrition and health values of millets. Uh, and we've been doing the world's largest systematic review on, on this. And what it means is we've analysed every scientifically published paper about millets and looked at uh, analysing that and what can you say about the nutrition and health benefits of millets. So this is huge and we'll be rolling it out over the next few months. There's a study on each of the main areas that where millets contribute um, so we're pretty excited about that but that science backing behind anything is really important and that's what icrasat can contribute uh, uh, thank you very much joanna and prashant goodbye and god bless until we meet you next week with another episode of field notes